baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the, into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days. Being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Thank you. Thanks so much, Amy. And uh, let me add my welcome to that of Claire's earlier. It's lovely um, to be together uh, today. Um, let me also apologize profusely. Um, that you'll, the astute among you will have noticed the reading on your service sheet is different to the reading um, that, uh, that, that we're studying today. That's me copying and pasting the wrong thing. So I'm apologizing for that. If you do need to look at an app or a phone um, or, or indeed a physical Bible, that would, be, that would be really great. Otherwise, I'll try and highlight things. Uh, and, uh, and, and we've got fantastic Liz uh, on, the, on the text so she can point things out as well. My deepest apologies on that. Um, that just emphasizes it, doesn't it, uh, that we need God's help. So why don't uh, I lead us in prayer as we come together. Father God, as I've spent time in this passage, I'm convinced that there is more that we could say about this than, uh, than we could do so in, in, in many years of looking at it. Uh, and so, Father, I pray that you would speak through me. Father, by your spirit who we see in this passage, would you speak to each of us? Father, take of, of all those amazing true things that could be said, take those things that you would plant in our hearts such that it would change us, such that it would bring us face to face with your son, such that in him we would find the savior that we've always longed for. I can't do that, but you can. And so would you do that? Amen. It's the hope that kills you, isn't it? It's the hope that kills you as an England fan. Every time a major tournament comes and the songs come on, it's coming home, it's coming. And you think, oh, is it, is it coming? We've got Gaza this year. Surely it's coming home. Uh, we've, no, we, we've got Beckham. Maybe it's coming home this year. We've got Raheem Sterling. Surely with Gareth Southgate in charge, it's coming home. It's the hope that kills you every time as an England fan, isn't it? But maybe it's not just actually in, in watching England play. Maybe actually there's something of that in, in life just in general, isn't there? That kind of disappointment that seems to seep into so many different areas of life. In fact, I'd probably go so far as to ask you, is there any single area of life where you've not felt disappointment or frustration? And actually, when you begin to think about it like that, you begin to realize this is, this is very close to us. Uh, our lives are, are, are tainted, aren't they, by uh, disappointment, by, by frustration, by, by things not going right. It's as if this world is, well, the Bible calls it, in bondage to decay. It's even in physics. Um, I'm, I'm looking to the back here uh, to Chris, our, our resident professor of physics. Uh, I think it's the second law of thermodynamics, is it? That, that this world um, and everything in this universe is in a place of, of increasing essentially brokenness, entropy, things getting more and more complicated and, and worse. 
And the Bible's really realistic about that. Like I've been spending some time in Genesis, just in my own kind of spent, my own Bible times. And you see it again and again. People who start out promising and then end up well, broken or dead again and again and again. And the Bible, you go through it and you see people wrestling with this kind of brokenness of this world, the kind of frustrations of this world, and they're crying out in different places. See it throughout the Psalms. Uh, You see it actually in Isaiah 61, where Isaiah gets to the end of this book uh, and he cries out to God and he goes, oh God, would you just rend the heavens and come down? Uh, Fix this. Would you step in and do something? And my friends, the passage we're looking at today we see God rending the heavens and coming down. Mark, or well, I mean Matthew, uh, Mark, uh, he says, um, Jesus saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending. Jesus saw heaven torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. This is God, if you like, looking at the brokenness of this world, rolling up his sleeves and saying, okay, I'm going to step in, I'm going to do something. We started the book of Mark last week. For those of you who uh, weren't able to be with us, uh, it it started with Mark saying, uh, this is good news. And we we saw that's the kind of stop what you're doing. This is world-changing event type good news uh, about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, And here, what we're going to see is that that Jesus is the Son of God, is the Messiah. In fact, what's more, we're going to see that in Jesus, God breaks in to be the Messiah that we have always longed for. That's where we're going. In Jesus, God breaks in to be the Messiah we've always longed for. And so we see uh, John, who who came onto the scene last week, uh, he baptizes Jesus. Uh, That's uh, that's in verse 9 of our passage. Uh, What's going on there? Uh, This is is a complicated thing. We saw last week that baptism is not quite like the baptism that we had. That that baptism is uh, is a picture of um, God's uh, people who weren't ethnically Jewish becoming Jewish believers. That's what, would, that's what would happen with the baptism in the kind of Old Testament. And so what John is doing is he's taking people who were ethnically Jewish, but weren't acting like that, and was saying, I'm going to baptize you so that you can truly be part of God's people. And along comes Jesus. Now, Jesus, he doesn't have sin to be washed away. But what Jesus is doing when Jesus is being baptized, is he's saying, look, if everybody who's ethnically Jewish isn't true Israel because they need to be baptized into him, I really am. In other words, he's identifying with being truly part of God's people. That's what's going on when he's baptized. But he's not just any part of God's people. You see, when he's baptized, all heaven breaks loose. You see it there in verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. What happens as Jesus is baptized is we get a glimpse into eternity. There's so much here. I'm going to try and go through it real quick uh, and, and, try and, and try and stay focused. Uh, but what do we see? Well, first of all, we see heaven opened. We see something about God, that he is the one who is enthroned above the heavens. That he is uh, transcendent is the big word for it. He's above us. And yet heaven is opened and he comes down. In other words, that this God who is above us is a God who is knowable. He's come to us. 
Uh, What's more, we see that God is three persons. Uh, We see that there is the Spirit who descends like a dove. Uh, We see that he descends on Jesus, the the Son of God, uh, the one who who is proclaimed, this is my Son whom I love. That could equally be translated, this is my unique or only Son. And we see that voice which comes from the Father. We believe in a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we believe in a God who is, if you like, a bit like a happy family, who has always been there. Now, why am I telling you this? Why are we diving into this when I've started about talking about frustration? Well, because here's the thing. In that Father-Son relationship that we see there, there is no frustration or brokenness. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, the father isn't just pretending to be a 90s rapper when he says well pleased. Uh, He's saying, look, there is a state of well pleasedness that has always, always existed between the persons of the Trinity. This is a place of, uh, of complete peace, a place of complete trust, a place where there is no brokenness of relationship. Okay, so far as to say that this is the one place in the universe where we see that brokenness just isn't. We see God as a happy family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see God uh, proclaiming that, his, that this Jesus is his Son. Remember what John said? This is the good news about Jesus, the, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the Son. And yet there's so much more. Because this is the Son who is the Messiah. This is God breaking in, God the Son, but this is God the Son breaking in to be the Messiah you've always longed for. I think in in this passage, there is basically the whole history of the world. Uh, And and, and I'll show you that as we go through the sermon, uh, as as we spend time in it this morning. Uh, But here's the thing. Uh, As God breaks in, we see an answer to that cry that has been throughout uh, the eternity. Not just in the relationship between the Father and the Son, but that cry that has been throughout the Old Testament uh, as they have longed for somebody who was going to come and who was going to fix it. The Messiah, John calls him in John 1, or, or the Christ. Uh, in, 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 sorry, Mark calls him in Mark 1. I get confused with John, the writer of the the gospel of John and John the Baptist. Anyway, at Mark at 1, he says he's the Messiah. And how do we know that in this passage? Well, because the Spirit descends on him. Now, again, throughout Isaiah, remember Mark's super keen on Isaiah. We saw it a lot last week. We see that there is one who will come who is going to fix the brokenness of this world, who's going to bring about justice, and he's the one on whom the Spirit is going to, uh, is going to, is going to um, arrive. Uh, so Isaiah, 60, uh, Isaiah uh, 64, uh, no, sorry, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 64 is God, the, the, the heavens being rendered. Isaiah 61, verse 1, I'll just read it to you. Don't worry about turning there if you're not there already. Uh, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom of the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners. Uh, this one uh, who is going to come and, uh, and, and mend uh, the, the poverty, the brokenness, the captivity of the world, he's the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord is going to descend. It's not just Isaiah 61, Isaiah 42 Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one uh, in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring about justice for the nations. So we look around the nations, how how quick we see the brokenness that we were talking about before. 
This is the one who will bring about justice for the nations. How do I know? Because his spirit is resting on him. Or Isaiah 11, that one is on your service sheets. We're told that a stump, a shoot will come up out of the root of, a stump out of the, let me read that again. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He won't judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he'll judge the needy. With justice, he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he goes on and goes on. In other words, the the one who is going to come and is going to fix that problem, that that bondage to decayness, that that, that frustration that we see again and again and again, uh, it is this one on whom the Spirit lights. In other words, Mark is is setting up Jesus, the Messiah, as the Messiah that we've always longed for. He's going to come and he's going to deal with it. But there's a problem. And the problem is what happens immediately after Jesus is baptized. Verse 12 of Mark 1. At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And up to this point, we've seen it all before. It's like penalties against Germany at the end of the match. We know what's going to happen. It's the hope that kills you, isn't it? You see, we've seen this before. We've seen the Holy Spirit hovering above waters, fluttering above waters. We've seen one described as a son of God, not an ontological son of God in the same way as Jesus is, but one described as a son of God in in Adam. He was there with the wild animals, being tempted by Satan, and what did he do? Turned his back on God, failed the probation, bought into this world that very corruption that we feel day in, day out. We've seen this before, haven't we? Along comes Satan, he ruins it all. We saw it too in in Israel, the nation. They were called the Son of God. Not in the same way that Jesus is, but they were called a Son of God. Uh, And and along uh, they come, they come through the waters. Again, ringing any bells. They come through the waters uh, and they're out in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. What happens? They fail to trust God. They turn their back on him. And a whole generation dies in the wilderness. Here's Jesus. He looks great. He's baptized in in the Jordan. The spirits come. He looks like the Savior, heaven breaking out. And now he's in the desert with Satan. And here's the thing. Mark, he he writes really quickly in his his book. He he doesn't kind of hang around. And so we don't get the full story of what goes on in Mark. If if you look in Luke or in Matthew, you you see there that he he, he battles with Satan. It's the big question of will he stand and will he trust God's word? And and, and what we see there is that Jesus does not submit to uh, Satan. Why, Why doesn't Mark tell us that? Well, in some ways he does. You see, uh, he he says this, doesn't he? Verse 13, uh, read with me again. He he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Now, if you read um, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 4, you see that the the time that the angels come and attend, 
is after Jesus has resisted the temptation of Satan. So it's, it, it's hinted here. It's hinted, actually, if you read on in Mark 1, when Jesus meets an evil spirit and is able to cast out the evil spirit. Why? Because he has victory over Satan. But perhaps there's more. You see, if you were being speedy like Mark... And, and you were thinking, now, what do I keep in? Do I keep in the kind of details of the temptation? Do I keep in the, the angels? Well, that's probably quite key. Um, that there were wild animals. Well, that's a bit of an odd one to hold in, isn't there? Wild animals? Why does Mark say that there were wild animals there? I mean, it's the wilderness. It's kind of, it's kind of par for the course. Wild, wild animals, it's, it's surely. But remember back in Isaiah 11, what was promised about this Messiah who would come. It's there on your service sheets. Do you flick, flick to it just for a moment? We saw that he would be the spirit-anointed one, but you'll see that I copied an, a, a bit more from the Scriptures. What will it be like when this one is around? Well, verse 6, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed Feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its head into the viper's nest. Sorry, its hand. I was thinking its head was pretty extreme, but it could do. Um, verse 9, they'll neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What, what happens when Jesus goes out into the wilderness He brings this kind of reality, the kind of reality that we long for, uh, where animals don't kill one another, where you're not living in fear anymore. Uh, He brings that reality into the very place of temptation. Not uh, Not only has he not succumbed to Satan, but he's brought about this world that we long for, a place where children can stick hands or heads into viper's nests without fear, a place where they neither harm nor destroy anymore. It's the world we long for, isn't it? And and Jesus brings it in in, in microcosm there, even in the wilderness, because he is the Messiah. You see, in Jesus, God breaks in to be the Messiah we've always longed for. But some of us are thinking, "That that sounds very interesting. Yeah, I can see lots of links with the Old Testament. That's nice. But how does, this, how does this help me today? Well, you see, I think there's one more reason why Mark doesn't conclude the temptation narrative with, and, and wrap it right up. And that's because, actually, this points forward to a bigger moment of temptation, a bigger moment of victory. Bishop Pete Wilcox says um, uh, that Scripture is, uh, is always more but seldom less than carefully crafted literature. And and Mark's the same. You see, Mark starts and ends with a tearing. It starts as God tears the heavens and steps in. And it ends, well, it ends after this Jesus, uh, this perfect savior. Uh, He he goes to the cross, doesn't he? Uh, And there he swaps places with me and with you. He he takes all uh, of the blame for the rejection that I and you uh, deserve as as, as we turn our back on God again and again and again, uh, as we not only live in a broken world, but contribute to the brokenness of this world. Uh, There Jesus takes all of that as he takes my sin and dies there on the cross. 
And as he swaps places with you and with me, the temple curtain tears from the top to the bottom. The temple curtain that was like a big keep out sign. This, Trinity, this Trinitarian God, you can't be a part of that. You can't have that kind of peace. You can't have that kind of well-pleasedness. That's torn asunder. Why? Because Jesus and you have swapped places. And so what happens at the cross at the end is not only that Satan is defeated, but that as God looks at you, he looks at you with the very well-pleasedness that he looks at Jesus with. That's, That's staggering, isn't it? Remember that well-pleasedness that, that d- doesn't happen anywhere? God looks at you today. If you know and trust Jesus, he looks at you today. No matter what this last week's been, no matter what went through your head as Claire led us in the, in the confession earlier, uh, no matter uh, how bad things have got, he looks at you and he says, you are my child with whom I am well-pleased. Well-pleased with you. There, there is nothing that is tainting that relationship, no matter how you feel. No matter what you've done, no matter what other people would say about you, there is nothing. Because I'm well pleased with you. I am well pleased with you. You see, in Jesus, God steps in to be the Messiah that you've always longed for. To bring you that well pleased verdict before God. One day he will step in again. And on that day, he will do on a global scale what he's done on a local scale. He'll bring about that Isaiah 11 promise, not just in the wilderness where he is, not just in the hearts of Christians, but throughout this whole world. And we long for that day. So what? So what? Well, it might be that you're here today and and you've heard of Jesus. You know lots about him, but he's an abstract idea. If that's you, today's the day you need to know this is God stepping in to be the Savior that you have always desired. Today's the day when you need to come to know him as your Savior. But maybe you've done that and, and actually you've just forgotten. Maybe today's the day when you need to remind yourself of how God feels about you. With you, I'm well pleased. Maybe today we just need to bask in that and enjoy that. Maybe actually even as we're sitting here, we're thinking, I need to remind somebody else of that. I I need to hold that out. I've got a Christian friend who's very much feeling the brokenness of this world. I need to remind them that Jesus is the Savior that they've been longing for. I've got a friend who doesn't know Jesus, who is hurting. Maybe today's the day when I need to be praying and offering to speak with them and offering this savior oh that you would rend the heavens and come down and fix the mess of this world we say and god says i have i have let me lead us in a prayer father we thank you so 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 much for jesus thank you so much that you are that happy family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, the desire of our hearts, where we'd long to be. And thank you that joy upon joys, we can enjoy. We can enjoy knowing that you look at us and speak of us just as you speak of Jesus. I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, that very same Spirit that rested on Jesus, uh, that you would challenge us today. 
drive home that good news where, uh, where we resist it. Help us to hold it out to others. Help us to delight in it all the more. But Father, we pray all of this, standing in the very place of your Son, and in his name, therefore, we can pray all these things. Amen.